Hello, this is Anthony Day with the latest Sustainable Futures report for Friday the 2nd of December. And yes, that means that Christmas is only just over three weeks away. This week, I've been talking to Tim Balkan, who is the CEO of IEMA, the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment. IEMA is the biggest association for sustainability professionals with a membership of some 15,000. Its tagline is transforming the world to sustainability. I last spoke to Tim some two years ago and he agreed to give me an opportunity to catch up and see how things have changed since then. Tim, right, thank you very much for agreeing to talk. We spoke last year, we spoke in March 2015. At that time we were talking about what would happen uh, in the general election. Well, since we spoke, we've had two changes of government. We've had quite a controversial presidential election in the United States. We've had Brexit, which also caught people by surprise. So things have changed quite a lot since we last spoke. Um, how have they changed from a sustainability point of view? I think the, um, the attention has been diverted to politics. Um, and actually, sustainability is not coming out loud and clear from all of those changes but the attention has now moved to us because the agenda has become more important for us. So it requires our members uh, and people with an interest in sustainability to demonstrate the value of it uh, more than before. Okay. Um, we've had some fairly mixed messages from the United States, which uh, with, with, first of all, President-elect Trump saying that uh, it's all a hoax um, climate change is a hoax designed by the Chinese and that he was going to come out of the Paris conference. On the other hand, they had the Marrakesh conference, which was the follow-up. And even though he'd said that, and since then he's changed his mind a bit, it didn't actually lead to wholesale collapse, did it? No, and I think what you're getting now is a president or a president-elect, you're quite right in saying that, um, where he's now hearing a, uh, the voice of industry um, um, actually saying that this is really important because regardless of any conspiracy theories that he may or may not have, the world is going to change. And uh, the trade bodies, certainly the larger companies, are now saying to Trump that you have to take this very seriously. So he's becoming more open-minded. Uh, un unfortunately, the comments that Trump makes gives oxygen to the naysayers and the conspiracy theorists. And that's the damage uh, he's done initially. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the climate change agreement in Paris is not down to one man. He, he won't be able to just wa wash away the science that we, that we know of. Uh, he's got to respond to that and he's got to respect what industry and business is saying. Okay. All right. Well, let's assume that the Paris agreement is going to go ahead. Each country came up with its INDC, which was his... Uh, intention of nationally determined contribution to a reduction in carbon emissions, which is great as a political statement, but they said that they would reduce their output, each, each nation said it would reduce its output by X percent by a certain year, they're all on different bases, so it was very confusing, but it didn't go beyond that, it didn't say how, and have we actually got the expertise, have we got the will to put those things into practice? You asked two questions there. One is, have we got the expertise? And the second one is, have we got the will? Mm. Um, the expertise, well, we've got 40,000 members that's got expertise to make this real. 
okay mm -hmm. so and this is why uh, I am as important as a professional body to raise the profile of our um, uh, of our professional members yeah more than ever and this is an agenda that we're absolutely pursuing uh, uh, at this moment in time the will um, is silent at the minute and there's a lot of mixed messages uh, as I mentioned before politics is taking center stage actually not what politics is delivering so we have the opportunity to um, convince politics or politicians that this is uh, an expertise that is going to reshape the world as we see it um, and that's where we work at the minute. Do you think you're going to be able to persuade the politicians of the urgency of this? Uh, um, I think timing is the, is the uh, I suppose, is the, is the big problem. I think the science is pretty solid. Uh, I don't think anybody would argue with that. I think the economics is pretty solid for those, for those companies who are, uh, who are leading on this, such as your Skanskas, your Wilmot Dixons, your Rolls Royce of the world. They're doing some excellent work um, uh, on this one. As for the urgency of it, then uh, this is where it becomes more critical. And I think where politics have got diverted and every year that they get diverted makes it more and more critical. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, the urgency will determine the will and it's not there at the minute. Yes, yes. Well, we've had two changes of government in the UK. We had an election and then we had Brexit which led to the government imploding and a new government coming out. As a result of the latest government, they've abolished the Department of Energy and Climate Change. Um, and since then, in was last week I think, we had the autumn statement from the Chancellor of the Exchequer and he didn't say anything about sustainability at all. Mm. And he didn't do anything about what his predecessor did in terms of effectively reducing the incentives to have a low carbon vehicle. He didn't do anything about fuel. He, d he said that he wouldn't introduce or he wouldn't reintroduce the fuel duty escalator. Surely at the very least he should have put something onto diesel because we've seen how dreadful the air quality is in so many cities and a lot of it is down to diesels. Th that appears to me to be governments willfully ignoring evidence. I think it's perhaps being a little bit more generous than you are here. I think it's government trying to make sense of all of the um, contradictory policies that's put in place previously. Um, sustainability as a word is not generally recognised with this government or the previous government in actual fact. It, it doesn't tend to carry the currency um, that it deserves. <coughs> However, air quality does. So we know they are minded to do something about uh, about air quality. I think transport is going to be a key issue uh, for that one. So my my advice to government is is stop taking a knee jerk reaction to solve these problems. Whenever a policy comes as almost as a dragon slayer, it will inevitably fail as a policy. If a policy is developed with a much more long term, holistic, and systematic understanding of the things that create. Uh, air or transport or those kind of activities, you, you've got a much better opportunity, a much safer bet that those policies will have a will have a better impact. But long term and politicians are not necessarily hand in hand. Long term and businesses are not necessarily good fellow good bedfellows uh, either. So w one of the mantras that I am is going to be talking about is this long term view of of what the economy needs, and inevitably when you take a long term view you can only talk about sustainability. 
Okay, you identify that as a challenge actually when we spoke last year, in particular because you said you had to convince the different professionals within an organisation of the importance of sustainability mm. and you said the chief executive who himself generally has a short term tenure of that post is very difficult to, uh, to influence. Well it is because um, you know, I was listening to um, some of the industry leaders not so long since, and there was a comment that really struck me quite hard there, which is generally businesses have started to lose their role in society, mm-hmm. or lose their purpose of their role in society would be a more accurate way of, of describing this. So their role has generally been to the shareholder. Um, now, actually, the investors are wanting a longer term view. To speak to the investors now, they're looking at a longer term view. Mm-hmm. The, the, the shareholders, on the other hand, um, uh, would be okay with this. But there's still a view within industry that the short term view of profit and return is going to s- trump any other uh, business imperative. We have to unlock that. We have, to, we have to move them away. And we have to get businesses to be better integrated into society. Yeah, so uh, I'll give you a, a comment which is symbolic of where business has got to. If you take the executive pay and the ratio between executive pay and, and low worker pay, it's astronomically um, different from where it was 10 years ago. Now, unless industry starts to understand this and its role in society, then where's its true value going to be? Its true value is not with the shareholder. It is much broader than that. You can address these by a long-term view of sustainability. These are complex issues, but the complex issues that have to be addressed, they have mm. to be taken head on. Mm. And doesn't globalisation com- uh, complicate it still further? Because a lot of our organisations, household names, are in fact controlled by conglomerates overseas. They are um, uh, both. A, uh, they are complicated, of course. They are, but again, the opportunity there because the large companies have a big supply chain, so the impact that they have to reintroduce themselves back into a uh, societal or societal role is in their hands. Um, uh, you know, pleased to see the, uh, the legislation on, um, uh, on, on slave, on slavery, modern mm-hmm. slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the kind of things. Now, it's quite indicative that when you have to introduce legislation, there's generally something that's gone wrong. So business can't self-regulate or haven't self-regulated in these areas. So legislation is quite a blunt tool mm-hmm. uh, uh, in these um, in these policy areas. But we have to, you know, it, it's going to be a constant mantra of our human out, which is long-term sustainable view of running your business. And it's how you run your business and just what you do with your business that's going to be really quite important going forward. And in order for you to do that, you need experts that's going to help you do that, which is where our members uh, have the expertise. Uh, final point on this one. I, I've, I've, I wrote something in my uh, column uh, in AIMA not so long since. I hear many chief executives, or I hear a number of chief executives talking about sustainability now. They're no nearer sustainability than they were 10 years ago, but they've latched onto the word. And the only thing that I can see that's going to really convince me that they truly can understand sustainability is when they employ experts in their business to help them understand it and help them drive through their supply chains. Yeah, well, this is worrying, isn't it? I mean, the word greenwash is, has been around for a long time. Are, are we still seeing greenwash? Are we still seeing people making the gesture, playing lip service, but not actually fundamentally understanding what sustainability and, and, and so on is about? Yeah, and then... And then uh, to a large extent, it's the unconscious incompetence. So there's a lot of 
a lot of goodwill uh, with sustainability and people believe they do good they love sustainability because they they have a corporate um, social responsibility program mm. that's not sustainability that's corporate responsibility and in order to bring that conscious competence to them, I go back to you need an expert here that, that can take this that can take this uh, into your boardroom and actually start to shape how how businesses are run. Okay, well, I think that leads us on to onto skills because we were talking about perfect storm last time. That was a report which you'd published at the end of twenty fourteen about the skills crisis in the UK, and you hadn't left it there. You were you you working with the universities, you've set up IEMA Futures. What's your feeling now about the outlook for skills? Because it's not just you, a lot of people are saying that we are a low-skilled economy, something must be done. But how successful are we at doing it? <coughs> if you go back 200 years and you listen to um, prime ministers, presidents, uh, mm. chancellors, uh, <coughs> They have all repeated the the point that skills is fundamental to any successful economy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is not not new stuff. What we're about to see is a change in how the economy is done, almost on a scale that the industrial revolution changed at the way the economy uh, the economy worked. Largely because the, the the change can happen largely because of climate change, population growth, water, energy, all of those uh, activities, food stress, all of those uh, um, kind of things. So the imperative of skills is becoming increasingly important and the longer this goes on the more imperative that those that, that understanding needs to be. So uh, this is where we have a real key role here to say the kind of skills that businesses need and how best how best do they use them. So we've worked with uh, universities, we've worked with some of our corporates to actually create a, a clearer demand for what those skills uh, are needed at this moment in time, but also looking at the future as well. We're bringing the universities together to say, okay, let's get these courses recognised so that they have currency in the in the economy stronger than what they have now. That there's clearly some excellent programmes out there, uh, but I think we can aggregate what we've got there and make the, uh, the the position stronger. There's also a wonderful opportunity uh, at the moment with the new look on apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. Um, and I go back to something I said earlier that le legislation is a key driver in these kind of areas so the apprenticeship levy is going to force businesses to spend money on apprenticeships our skills system in the UK has traditionally been backward looking i.e. you look at what skills you need and you create a, uh, you create a qualification or apprenticeship or a degree that would look at those skills very rarely does it look forward very rarely does it say, okay, the economy is going to change. Here are the skills going to require in the future. What the apprenticeship opportunity gives us is the chance to shape an apprenticeship framework, which includes degrees, by the way, as well, <coughs> gives a chance to shape that framework in a way that's going to respond to the future needs of skills as well as the here and now. Um, uh, so, um, in answer to your question, in a very long-winded way, it's important. It's important that we bring both education and training together, that we get the right curriculum and we get the, we get the employers buying the right skills and demanding the right skills in the first place. Okay. <coughs> I think the whole area of employment is very, very fuzzy because on the one hand, we claim in this country to have close to full employment. On the other hand, people are talking about artificial intelligence and we can see that a lot of even quite skilled jobs are already being displaced by computer technology and so on. 
So we are going to need the highly skilled people who can use those technologies, design those technologies and implement those technologies. But aren't we going to have a lot of people who are just unemployed because they're unemployable? This, is, um, this has always been a problem. Um, and you look back over the last 20 years, there has been considerable amount of time and money spent on, on trying to capture those people who fall out of the, uh, of the economy. Um, they're socially excluded for, for mm -hmm. want, of a, want of a better description. I happen to believe that the environment has actually a glorious opportunity to bring those people back in. Um, there's no easy answer to this. And I go back to something I said earlier. If you look at, uh, if you start to ask businesses their role in society, they have to take responsibility for some of this. It's not just a government problem, it's not just a societal problem. It's an industry problem as well because this is the pool of, of people that they're going to be selecting to meet their skills and challenges. Now, they can't do it by letting somebody else get on with it and do it. They have to have skin in the game and they have to start to shape and contribute to society in much bigger than they have done previously. Okay, okay. If we go back to what we were saying about governments and that they generally don't take a long-term view, we have had three major, very long-term decisions recently. First on Hinkley C, which is the new nuclear power station, which has been, uh, um, well, it, it's been a proposition for about 10 years, but now we have from the government a commitment to go ahead with it. Secondly, HS2, which seems to be going ahead, although they still haven't, I don't think, finally passed the legislation. And thirdly, the third runway at Heathrow. So we've got three major public works projects which will go on for at least 10 years and probably more than that. Are they, the, are they sustainable? Are they the right answers to the problems which we will see in the future? Um, it's a very difficult. Uh, well, there's three questions there because there's three very different projects. Three. Let, let me um, look. These are three projects that's going ahead. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's just assume that they will go ahead and they will be implemented. I think. I think the the role for us is to make them those as sustainable as possible. So I, I, I'll go back to something on skills. Those three will require a significant number of people to build. And construct them and also in the design and in the application of those as well. Mm -hmm. There is a huge opportunity there in that skilling and recruitment process to, to, to give people the skills that they'll need for the future, okay, on other infrastructure projects, whether the right ones or not, but at least they'll be able to take those, those forward. So if you take the Olympics as, uh, uh, as an example, one of the legacies of the Olympics, it's left uh, industry with a lot of uh, skilled people who understand sustainability and know, how, and know how to bring that into the businesses that, or organisations that they are now working for. So I'll avoid the is, is Heathrow the right option or is Hinkley Point uh, the right option to say but they can be used as a force of good if they are done in, uh, in the right way and it's thought through. Okay but Heathrow in particular, one of the arguments, I think the main argument against it is pollution, air pollution. Uh, increased flights will cause increased air pollution because we are an awful, awful long way from running uh, aircraft on renewables. But quite apart from that, we're going to see a vast amount of traffic 
uh, coming to Heathrow to actually deliver passengers and collect passengers from these increased flights. The transport fleet that we have at the moment is causing serious pollution. It's causing serious pollution in city centres. The government was taken to court a year ago because it was in breach of its obligations. It was taken to, your, to court again earlier this year and found to have done nothing. So is there a, well, is Heathrow the right answer, Heathrow 3 the right answer? And, and um, it, uh, given that it will give people skills and experience, are, are they enough to outweigh what appears to be some pretty serious downsides of the project? Uh, on environmental grounds, sustainability grounds, they, you know, clearly it's the wrong decision. Um, I'm sure if you ask the CBI, you ask other people, they'll say clearly it's the right decision. Yeah. So th there enters the debate. Um, but let's let's look at how we um, how we're in our transport system. So I, I come across a statistic the other day <coughs> that our transport system is, as we know, it's it's overloaded at the minute, and uh, the capacity of of lorries on the road are currently operating at twenty seven percent full. Okay, so the potential for efficiencies is huge. We are still, as consumers, we are still buying fruit uh, that we fly across across the world you know as consumers we have a responsibility to say well actually I'm going to eat local stuff and I'm going to I'm going to eat seasonal uh, foods as well when those changes start to impact then actually the, the, the notion of heat through then becomes less important so th there's a responsibility on us to, to change the way that we that we live our lives absolutely there's a responsibility on business to become far more efficient and make procurement decisions much more sustainable than they currently make them. And then actually the outcome of that is whether you're Heathrow or not. So Heathrow for me is a symptom of the problem, not necessarily the cause of the problem in the first place. Okay, but getting people to change their lifestyles, nobody's suggesting to them that they should. People are thinking, well, I can, so I will. No, no this, this clearly this is a... Uh, a a long-term issue. I was speaking to some uh, someone from Mexican government um, not so long since, and we're talking about air pollution. There, we're talking about yeah. their choked-up cities, mm. and they said, "Look, this is a million miles away from the people of Mexico City. You know, their their priority is is how do I get a car, and how can I have a car, knowing that it contribute contributes to their transport problem. So they you know, everybody's in a different different place on this one." But if we are genuinely talking about how to be sustainable, we have to address these things. Mm -hmm. um, we have to we have to develop better transport systems. We have to develop more efficient ways of working, and we have to procure better than we're currently doing. And we have to manage our supply chains and hold our supply chains to account. And actually, we start to develop a sustainable economy and a, a sustainable world from the bottom up. But this is not a short-term fix. Right. Okay. We're talking about transport in general, uh, about the transport fleet. It's the petrol cars and particularly the diesel cars which cause a lot of the problems of poor air quality in our city centres. Is the answer electric cars? Now you've been driving an electric car uh, for quite some time. You have first-hand experience of how practical they are. Do you think that the electric car is the future? I'd like to think so. I've, um, I've, I've had two electric cars. Um, I think as a mode of transport they are on a par with, with petrol cars in, in terms of its comfort, its ride and all that kind of activity. Um, in Lincoln there aren't any fast charge points, 
So in practical terms, it didn't work for me living in Lincoln. It would if I had worked in Birmingham or London or somewhere of that uh, area. Uh, so absolutely, I think it is. Plus the fact that regardless of where the energy is, um, uh, is generated, um, you know, it's got to be better for uh, air quality and, and noise and all of those those kind of things as well. Electric cars come into their own when they're developed through renewable energy sources. Now, as a mode of transport, then absolutely they work on every single level possible. But the the energy that we generate is still actually very inefficient in terms of those uh, mass production. Mm -hmm. So we have to start to tackle how we produce our energy in the first place. Um, and the move to electric cars, I would personally fully support, one, because they're great fun to drive and, and actually save me a fortune in fuel bills, um, and two, we have to put the infrastructure in place for that to happen. Right, so you're looking forward to the new Tesla, I believe. I've been looking at the Tesla with, with, with envy. I think that's the closest um, electric car yet to being practical and functional and actually been able to drive a sustainable uh, transport. Because it's got a big range, hasn't it? It's got about 250 to 300 mile range at the minute. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, it starts to be, uh, it starts to be very functional. Um, again, it needs the infrastructure, uh, yeah. which is getting, it's yeah. developing, it's coming, you know, it's absolutely coming. You have to admire um, what Tesla have done as a company, in a, ten, in, in a sense, they've broken the paradigm that we're currently in regarding transport and the way we think about transport. Um, plus the fact they've opened up all of their, um, that's what I'm looking for. Patents. Patents yes. to, to, yes. uh, to encourage other manufacturers to develop electric car. That kind of thinking is just superb. You know? yes. So yes. it's these companies that need supporting, yes. you know, not the fossil fuel companies that we're, currently, that we're currently supporting. This is where we just get things very wrong. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that we should get behind and support. Okay. Yes, uh, Tesla patented a lot of its new technology and then said anybody can use it. That's right. So they stopped anybody from locking it away and charging for it to be used and That's made right. it freely available, which is very altruistic, isn't it? It's the future, we hope. It is It is altruistic, it is the future, but there's also a good business logic behind that as well. You mm -hmm. know, as, as Henry Ford said, he'd rather work with his competitors to grow the market into a bigger market and compete for a bigger market than actually narrow down a small market and compete in a small market. Mm. So. Uh, yeah. The more you understand sustainability, the more you actually understand that this is this is a, a business logic in its first-rate business logic. Um, it just takes your head around understanding that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of a comment you made last uh, last time we spoke. I'm sorry, I'm skipping around a bit here, but you spoke about supply chains, and you spoke in particular about flood risk, and how it was not something which should people should look at as unexpected. Absolutely. And yet the following Christmas, an awful lot of people were badly flooded. And uh, for a lot of people, it was unexpected, particularly where I come from in York, because we have a flood barrier and it failed and nobody right. expected that. And of course, there was a knock on effect, like the telephone exchange went down and uh, the police radios went down and all the cash points went down because the telephone exchange had gone down. Uh, so um, I suppose the message simply is that we've got to look at it again and constantly be vigilant. You know, nature is a wonderful thing. It has its own way of resolving these issues. Um, and what we constantly do, um, it, if you take the CBI conference, yeah, there was no, there was no regard for how nature and the environment actually helps them 
in mm. their business. Mm. Uh, and actually in the main they still don't get it. Um, but if you look at the answers to the flood issues, a lot of it is, is in nature itself. You know, taking trees out actually mm. increase the risk of flooding. Mm. If you leave trees in, you decrease the risk of flooding. In my simple mind, it's quite easy as to what you do, but it's understanding the value of nature and how that can play its part. Plus the fact, on a weekend, I like to go out and, be a, and enjoy nature. I like to look at nature. Mm, mm. Um, but we see it as very distinct from business, and it's not. We have to understand that they're one and the same. Um, so our mantra to the businesses that don't understand it, it's not so much about what you do to the environment that you need to be concerned about, because if you don't get that, you just don't get it. Mm. But you really ought to be concerned about what the environment is going to do to your business. And flood, extreme weather, uh, uh, heat uh, and, and energy, are all of those things that your business needs to understand mm. and your supply chain. Because if your supply chain doesn't understand it, your business is at risk. Okay. Okay. Again, when we spoke before, you were optimistic. Do you continue to be optimistic? Because I think in what we've discussed, the rate of progress has not been tremendously fast, has it? And to be fair, it won't be. You know, and and it appears that the world has been diverted by uh, by global events, by global politic events. Oh yeah, actually. But we haven't got that much time. Have we? Well, no, that's true, and it's it's absolutely unhelpful. So, am I optimistic? I think the challenge has got harder since the last time we spoke. Um, because of you know the uh, the diversion to uh, to politics, um, I think when we start to make sense of that, I'd like to think that the solution are more sustainable options. I am still seeing more people get it. Uh, the rate at which uh, particular businesses and organisations get it is too slow, and the answers to resolve um, their sustainability challenges are too lightweight. Mm-hmm. You know, I go right back to the very beginning. This requires people with the right skills to transform the businesses and organisations that they work from. Okay. This is, this, uh, it's, it's no more difficult than that. So I'm optimistic. I still remain optimistic. I still think there's an opportunity to, uh, to change people's minds. Great. Well, Tim, thank you very much. Uh, I'll come and see you in another couple of years and uh, let's hope things are even better and that people have, by then, all got it. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Tim Balkan, CEO of IEMA, the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment. To find out more about IEMA, about careers, qualifications, training and events for yourself or for your colleagues or for your organisation, go to IEMA.net. That's I-E-M-A dot N-E-T. Next week, there will be another Sustainable Futures report. It will be about sustainable transport and any other sustainable news that's hit the headlines between now and then. That's the problem, though, getting this very important issue into the headlines. Any ideas? This is Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures Report, part of the Better World Podcast Collective, and brought to you without advertising, sponsorship or any form of subsidy. Bear me in mind if you need a conference speaker, host for your awards ceremony or webinar facilitator. Yes, I'm Anthony Day and you can find me via mail at anthony-day.com. That's Anthony with an H. For now, until next week's Sustainable Futures Report, have a good week and goodbye.